0: Nami Onami 2.0. I'm
1: so happy to be here again.
0: I am thrilled that you're here. I fucking love you.
1: Oh, honey. Thank you.
2: You're,
0: you're everything about your approach to what you're doing, I find inspirational. Because typically, when there's someone in this spiritual realm, they tend to be either hyper feminine, hyper masculine, or faking this like intertwining of the two. And I just love your authenticity and your courage and the fact that you don't try and, at least as far as I can tell, you don't appear to be pretending anything, you know, whether it's videos of you doing just fun, silly dances or your newsletters where you're sharing like, man, I fucked up this week. You know, like, there's just, I just don't see anybody out there who is bringing reality into focus for people, because it's almost like they're afraid that if they demonstrate humanity, that people won't want to trust them and think they have something to teach them. So I just want to honor the fact that you're, you're doing the real work. And I for one, really appreciate it. I know hundreds of thousands of people are following you, but thank you for that. And thank you for giving us some more of your time today.
1: Oh my God. Literally any time because I love the conversation that we had last time. So literally, you know, 3.0, 4.0, just like hit me up. I'm definitely I'm definitely down. And and I just want to say um, that I went through a really long period of of feeling that if people knew about all the all the degree to which I didn't know. I literally like went through the, the longest phase of my career feeling like if people found out the degree to which I didn't know that like nobody would be able to take me seriously as a teacher. And it was really only going through a very public experience of having publicly wrong thinking. Literally only that's the only way that I learn things is from trial and error. But like when during pandemic, like I got straight up sucked into totally wrong thinking because I felt like everybody was looking to me as a teacher in uncertain times being like, what's going on? And I didn't feel like I could get up to my followers, you know, especially I had a lot of teachers that I really looked up to at the time. And, you know, maybe 20% of those teachers still have their businesses or are or, or even alive. Wow. Um, but I just didn't feel like I could go and say, Hey, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. I literally have no idea. And so I was like grasping for, I understand what was happening to me now. It was like when things were not making sense in the scene world, I was like, Well, what do I know about the unseen world that could explain what's going on here? And instead of ascending to like, oh, you know, God's ultimately in control. I descended to Christian conditioning, to my Mm -hmm. doomsday conditioning. And I was like, oh, these must be end times. And I never said like publicly, like, oh, you know, like these, these are end times. I would say things like, well, I believe that these are spiritually significant times. And I had a really hard time with people that did not think like I did, like I, you know, had that the the ultimate like self serving. I'm just really concerned about the people that don't think like I do. I'm just worried about the degree to which they're going to burn in hell in a lake of fire, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so after going through that whole experience and having to publicly repent, like and repent and the Greek word is like think different, to publicly make that turnaround and be like, whoa, 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 like that was, and, and to clean up the mess that I had made by publicly telling people like that was fucked up and that was wrong mm. and I wasn't thinking the right thing. Now I'm a lot more comfortable saying I don't know. And with time. I've come to see that like whatever, I don't know if I'm willing to stand up and say publicly, I don't know. Here's what I think. The nature of channeling and the nature of being a teacher is that if you're, if you're willing to get yourself into the position to say to someone else, I don't know what you most need to know inevitably will, will come through. And so I I learn everything the hard way and, and thanks to a lot of study with uh with like my human design teacher, understanding that like people are ultimately here to to pay me to tell them what doesn't work, like I'm here to make <laughs> massive mistakes publicly and be like, Oh, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Uh and and really, you know, when, when I say, like, don't do it, and I give people the the cringe factor, they're like, whew, I definitely don't want that to happen to me. With human design, I was able to understand that that's really what I'm here to do. But it's it's not like I I started out this way. I've tried every other way of showing a good side only. Hmm. And Rumi says, a mask worn when the face has grown becomes a wall that rubs and cuts.
2: Hmm. And like,
1: it's not like the weight of a false personality or the weight of aspiring to perfection or the weight of of feeling like you need to know what's going on all the time. It's not like it ever becomes oh, intolerable. It just rubs and cuts at you in a way that you could totally live with if right. you were so inclined. It's something that you could definitely deal with, but once you know what it's like to not have that, it's like very so hard. It's yeah. very hard to bring that little like. That type mask
2: back.
0: So, well, speaking about not knowing, <laughs> what we were talking about before we started recording is the glory of parenting and just how unpredictable the whole thing is. And at the same time, what a divine design appears to be happening with the universe because everything I've seen, and this isn't just my kids. But the children that I observe around me, meaning my friends' kids, kids in public, whatever it is, it seems that the way children develop is like a perfect puzzle piece to fit your exact trauma history, Mm -hmm. such that they're constantly giving you the gift of the potential to transcend. Mm. And if you're leaning into that, You can use their vibration to just let go and heal and just transcend these things that could have captured you for the rest of this earthly life. Or, and unfortunately, this seems to be what happens most of the time, it definitely what happened to my late father, that triggering rings like a gong. And instead of finding the way to harmonize, it instead amplifies Mm. And it's like a re-traumatization. So I look back at my relationship with my dad and all he wanted was to be loved by his dad. Mm. And so he tried to force me into compliance because to him, compliance meant like respect meant love. And what that did with me was it drove me away. Mm. And, you know, I've been through so many layers of grieving that relationship where, you know, first you've got to get over. The trauma. Then you've got to forgive the trauma. And then I started having to forgive myself for what I did in response. I was just a child, but I hurt him in so many ways that it took me until very recently to even comprehend it. And now the only reason I can because I'm watching my son, you know, do things where I'm just like, who buddy, I can just feel my whole body vibrating at different levels. Mm-hmm. Um but the beauty of it is there's no book that can prepare you. There's no amount of anything other than being prepared to deal with the complete unexpected and just look at them as a, a divine teacher in a small package. Yeah. That's how I look at them.
1: Yeah. And like, really, I was just talking about this. I was just talking about this on my podcast actually was like how individual Every parent-child relationship is like every child is super different. So there's no parenting book that's going to fit it. And you get the exact child that you need for your complete healing, which is going to look different for everybody. Like, I don't know if you read Matthew McConaughey's book, green lights. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that it was really interesting. You know, so many, so many people could look at how he reflected on his like coming of age story and his relationship with his dad and also his relationship with his mom and say, you know, that's so toxic. That's absolutely not. But the bottom line is like, is, is he at peace with it? You know, is he at peace with it? Because whatever you're at peace with, you know, whatever you can say, like my parents did a good job, you know, for better or worse, I like the way that my parents did that. And I'm going to do the same thing with my kids because I like the impact that it had on me. Mm -hmm. And the really like common narrative now is. That that is really strongly echoed by people that don't have kids. So it's, sometimes I just like to look up, you know, online, like, what are the actual statistics of, let's say, parents that believe in corporal punishment versus not, like, let's just, let's see, because social media can make it really seem like this, you know, like, like, everything is going this way. And, and sometimes it's just nice to see what's actually like going on in the world out outside of that, that was like a recent rabbit hole that I went down recently but whatever you approve of in your parents is something that you pass on whatever you don't approve of in your parents is something that you you know you try to change and then the acceptance and forgiveness journey is being able to say you know I totally accept that that happened to me I wouldn't change anything about my life but I will change it for theirs and and that's how things shift but the really like common narrative I I see, which again, I said, is like echoed by a lot of people that don't have kids. It's something that makes sense on paper, but doesn't really make sense until you have kids and you're pushed to that place where you're like, I was not a perfect child. And my parents were doing the best that they could. And here's ways that I think that they could do better. And here's what I would do differently. But the common narrative is kind of like, our parents totally fucked us up. They totally fucked it to death. And now we have to do things completely differently with our kids. And that's not, healing is going to look different for everybody, but healing is always going to look like an integrated story and not an isolated story of like her bad over here and me good over here and here's how I'm doing this differently. And something that I thought was cool about Matthew McConaughey's book, which is something that he wrote when he had three children. You know, like we, as a as a dad of three already, without going into anything about his unique parenting style, I thought it was interesting the way that he talked about what his relationship was like and his dad with his dad, and being like, I know that people would say that this is totally fucked up, but like this was just our relationship very masculine, you know, like prove himself to his dad by like, I think beating someone else up or getting in a fist fight with his dad. But it was, it was cool for me to be able to read that without identifying with it at all. Like I have nothing in my life that I could relate to that. But I thought that it was really cool for him to talk so openly and publicly about something that he knew would horrify tons of people. And for him to be like, I love my dad. I'm totally at peace with him. And that was, I don't, I don't see that as being fucked up at all. I like the impact that that had on me. I thought that it was interesting. And now I'm just dying to know, like Matthew McConaughey, like nobody ever talks about discipline with, with their kids. It's just, and I I get it because anytime you ever talk about, you know, discipline, you'll hear from everybody about what a bad job you're doing and, and hardly ever about what a good job you're doing. But I'm like, just dying to, I wish that, I wish that somebody, I wish that people would actually talk about this more. Um. But now I'm like, I, I, I want to know what things are like in the McConaughey household. I think they, yeah. have, they have two boys. It goes like boy, girl, boy. And so I would, lo- I, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in their household and be like, how you guys navigate these? How do you guys navigate this?
0: <laughs> I get the impression that it's less about the action and more about the energy. Oh, a hundred percent. So if you're bringing, uh, I'm going to call it toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that ridiculously overused and misused term. Um, When my kids were, were younger, they're six and nine now, I would use the same kind of training With them that I did raising my dog, Mm -hmm. which was when they would go to do something that I didn't want that was in a box of like extreme, not Mm -hmm. necessarily lethal to them, but like it was going to bring disgrace upon the family or it was going to break something that was super valuable or whatever. The amount of energy I would bring to that was it was like a Zeus's lightning bolt, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but maybe it was just me yelling. But it might be me yelling and then getting a micrometer from their face and looking at them and making it clear that, like, if they misstepped in the wrong direction, it would be a lethal situation, Mm. right? Like, even though I've never struck them, Mm. right? but the way they internalize that, which I found out a couple of months ago, when my daughter was having the meltdown of her life, I mean, it was 100x anything else I'd ever seen. She brought up, well, you, I, I can't remember the exact things that she said, but it was like, you don't care about me at all. And she brought up something I had said like two years earlier that mm-hmm. was like, if you don't stop that, you're going to sleep in the shed. Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. me, that was just like a throwaway thing. I was just being hyperbolic. Mm-hmm. But apparently, the energy I embodied when I said it, like, she took that as. Serious, mm-hmm. right? And she had this list of like a half dozen things I'd said throughout her lifetime that mm. she had cataloged. And what I found fascinating about that is, like, okay, so here I am thinking, like, oh, I've done so great. Look at me! I put my kids' mm-hmm. art on the wall. <laughs> I, you know, I'm kissing and hugging them. I'm like, you know, doing all I've this. I never hit them. I never hit them. Right? I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, look at me! Just gold stars, gold stars. Mm-hmm. It's like no, 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 no. Because I misused masculine energy to force compliance on a situation that was trying to get me to soften.
2: Mm. Right?
0: And for me to understand that it's the will of the universe and not my way, right? Mm. and to Relax and surrender. And I think it's in those moments where the quote unquote trauma comes, because there's no way to describe her state when she yeah, was having yeah. that meltdown other mm-hmm. than traumatized, right? She was reliving all of this fear. And so I don't know that it necessarily matters like, oh, did you spank your kid on the, on the butt? Or did you do what I did and just put the fear of God in them? Mm. Either way, it's how, what was the wrapper, right? What was the vibration in which it was delivered?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's too, and and first of all, I just want to say like, awesome that you, awesome that you can say that. Like it is so much easier to be like triggered and defensive about things that you've done in the past or like, you know, consumed by guilt where you get like, which, which I do like, I get the feeling
2: Hmm.
1: when I'm like, Oh, like, am I doing a good job? And like, just the fact that like, you think about stuff like this, it's the people that don't think about stuff like this that are causing the most damage to their kids. Every kid's going to have trauma.
0: Literally every, every single kid They would have a very boring life. Otherwise.
1: Yeah. Most boring
0: people I've met are ones who never been through a thing.
1: (laughs) There's been all these studies that show that like, I I want to make a meme about this, but like high achievers have like just the right amount of trauma to make them driven.
0: Michael Phelps, Steve jobs, Elon Musk, like pick somebody who's who's exceptional at something. They all have some wild trauma history to have driven it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, and it's interesting to say Steve jobs, because I was just thinking about him in, in regards to this, this like little piece, but um but every like every kid's going to get trauma every parent is going to wish that they could have done things better and it's like and now you know like i had to right. it, so to to bring up Steve Jobs, like I was reading in his book, which is actually really interesting um, about how there was like a whole, they called it antenna gate. Basically, they had designed the whole iPhone to be aesthetically beautiful, but they had basically built a Faraday cage around it because there was no space for an antenna. And so it was all like public scandal or whatever. And the way that Steve Jobs handled it, they, they actually like started including it in all these different public relations courses because they're like this completely capsized our crisis response and how he handled this, like changed the game. And what he did was he just went on stage and was like, phones aren't perfect. We are not perfect, but we're always trying to make it better. Mm. And people just loved that. And they said, in in regards to PR that nothing deflates a dramatic situation, like a mundane and boring truth. And the mundane and boring truth about me is that I don't know if I'm doing it right. I've done plenty of things that I regret with my kids, especially my older one, because I just didn't know. I was trying the absolute best that I could. There's never anything that I've done impulsively with my, for Mm -hmm. example, a level of discipline, never anything that I'm just like, like in the moment, like everything was thought out, talk to other people, research, you know, what works for us, what works for them. Like there was nothing about the, I have always been trying to do the best that I can. Have I done the best that I can? I don't know. I don't know. I will find out when my kids are older and most kids go through a long period of disliking their parents. And I know that I'm probably going to have to go through that with my own kids one day. Like I'm, but I'm not perfect. And I do not know how to raise kids because I've never done it before. I sure as shit thought I knew how to raise kids before. Uh, Now I don't. But something that has actually taught me a lot about, uh, about, I guess, how would I state this? everyday discipline and that is like researching uh, dom and sub- dom submissive relationships and seeing like how does a level of discipline become so pleasurable for both parties mm. and I actually have talked to I have quite a few doms that have come through like my school and stuff and, uh, and something that they've all told me at some point is like the importance of not being emotional about what it is that you're doing because discipline from emotions is abuse yes and they- So, so for example, my son takes timeouts. Timeouts are like lethal for him. He Mm -hmm. literally, to be shut off and away from everybody, like my son goes so crazy in timeout that I literally worry about if he's okay in there. Like the degree to which he's freaking out, it doesn't work. For him, And also with my son, a, a quick discipline, like if I catch it before he started to get on my nerves, it's going to go much better. However it is that I'm disciplining him, words, behavior, as long as I'm not emotional about it, it doesn't matter what I do. I can swat him on the butt, which I've done plenty of times. If it's not emotional, if there's no, if I'm like, hey, don't do that. Shh. He's totally fine with it. But any time I've let him push me to the point of emotions where I'm legitimately frustrated with him, no matter what I do—whether it's timeout, stern words, gentle parenting, calm behavior—anything, he remembers it forever, and his feelings are so hurt. So what I've come to, my husband and I, especially as my son's going through like these major like changes right now, he's just you know he's going through a lot. Um, and we're so close to, we just bought a house. We're so close to being in a spot that's ours where he can really have like his own space, but discipline exists to create to, to a boundary so that your kids can't get you to emotions. And if I fail like to set a boundary quickly and I just let him kind of irritate me and irritate me until I blow up, like, That's what the discipline is is for, is to be like, let me give you this little thing so it's not like you're pushing me to my edge and then I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And that can be really hard, you know, especially when the kids are in the mood where they're just like restarting every five minutes where you're like, I just calmed you down. (laughs) Now you're on some new shit. Now you're on. It's like, what the hell is going on here?
0: Do you know Jordan Peterson?
1: But I... I don't know. There's, I could never tell anybody like how to raise their kids because I don't know if I'm doing the right job. But what I do know is that I am always trying to qualify for this job. I'm always doing the absolute best I can. And sometimes what my best looks like is I have to stop listening to other people tell me what their best is and just really trust in, I know my kids, my kids know me. I'm going to do the best I can to to
0: to do this like me. The analogy I think of as you're describing this is, you can imagine like a rowboat out at sea, mm. and the waves are pushing you back and forth. And every time you do something that's suboptimal, n- non-divine, the Im- the less than perfect choice, the thing that God wants, it's like water sloshing over. Mm. The edges. And you could do a couple of things with that. You could panic or you could very calmly reach down and scoop the water out and just get back to the task at hand. And I think that what ends up happening is people start panicking, panicking that they get overwhelmed with the feeling of shame.
2: Mm. that They're
0: not doing it right. Mm. And they start doubling down on the things that don't work because it's reflexive and they just haven't been able to get into the, the thinking mind to like reconstruct a new path forward. Mm. Whereas it seems like the answer to everything, all of our problems appears to be through this lens of surrender.
1: Yeah, take right? a deep breath.
0: And just settle. It's like a snow globe. Like just mm-hmm. let it settle down and then you'll be able to see clearly through to like, what is the the real thing over here? Mm-hmm. But it's like the panic of, I gotta keep moving. I gotta keep doing this. Like the the notion, like when I tell people, I used to do twice a week sensory deprivation floats for a couple of years, and when I tell people what that experience entails, right? You get into this black box where there's no sound, there's no light. The surface temperature is the same as your skin and there's no gravity and you're just there with your thoughts. People will tell me that literally sounds like my worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. To me, I'm
1: like, let's do it.
0: (laughs) It's like the perfect meditation zone. But for people who never want to meet what's going on inside, it sounds like hell. Mm -hmm. So to me, I just think about this stuff you're talking about in terms of like constantly qualifying for the job. Every day that you have that attitude was the perfect parenting day because guess what? Water is going to slosh over the fucking sides. You cannot control the waves. You are not the master of the seas. There are things that are coming at you that you'll never understand, that you'll never be able to grip with until we meld back into the one. Mm -hmm. And then who knows what happens, Mm -hmm. but this notion that like, you're just going to have the perfect row across the ocean and, and a nice dry bed of your boat. It's just, it's a, it's a fallacy that has been perpetuated by Lord knows what series of cultural indoctrinations, but I think that's like the very first step of truly being able to go on this journey is understanding that not only are you imperfect and not only were your parents imperfect, but you always will be. There was yeah. one Christ. There yeah. was, Uno. Oh, yeah. <laughs> out of billions and billions and billions. Of, and maybe, maybe you'll be 2.0, but let's say odds are probably not. So like maybe give yourself some damn grace. We're all just hurt kids out here doing our best.
1: Yeah. We're just doing our best. And the people that, 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 are so at peace with how they're parenting. And I've met plenty of them. You know, there's a difference between being genuinely cool with your own imperfections or fucking stuck up. And you can taste it. You know, one person love to be around, and and another person you don't. And I just want to say, like, too, because my husband and I were just talking about this recently about the tendency to when the kids are freaking out to to only be able to think about like, what would this turn into? What if they were doing this in a grocery store? What if they're like this when they're twelve? What if and 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 feeling like you can't handle the entire future of what this could turn into when actually like in the moment it is, it is tolerable, you know, it's just, it's, it's a chaotic moment, but something, you know, to kind of segue this, this parenting discussion, Tony Robbins said along, I think it's, it it was in a a video of his where he was curing the guy's stutter. It was interesting one on YouTube, but he said that all of life's problems or basically all of somebody's issues can be boiled down to this question Whose approval did you want more as a child, your mom or your dad, and who did you have to be for them to love you? So to put this within a context, my my whole entire life, I just learned this from the Steve Jobs book. People that listen to my podcast too, I know you guys have heard me talk a lot about this, but my whole entire life, I felt like my mom needed me to be perfect in order for her to love me. And every child thinks that their parent, that their mom is perfect. You know, she could do no wrong, no matter how fucked up the situation is. It's like your perfect mom, the most beautiful woman in the whole world, the best, you know. and um, And so I actually thought that perfection was attainable. And I have a very addictive personality. So I don't, I've never been able to just let anything go. I have to pick something else up and get addicted to like that instead. And I was noticing that this was just about a month ago. I had posted a story where I got irritated with somebody. I got irritated with somebody for something they said to me. It was on on the topic of parenting. Somebody giving me some advice that didn't have kids. I was so irritated. I posted, but this is nothing compared to, me, compared to me a couple of years ago, you know. But I, for the whole day, I was beating myself up about responding to a person's comment when I should have just ignored it. And the degree to which I was beating myself up was like decimated as if I had never done anything in my life. And I was like, what, what is this? You know, why am I, why do I feel like this is such a failure that it disqualifies me from, from everything. And then I was reading, I fell asleep reading the Steve Jobs book and I woke up really early in the morning and, and I was just looking in my mind and, and the clearest thing came through where i was like steve jobs was extremely imperfect and extremely great and all at once i realized that because my whole life i had been aspiring to perfection any time i made one mistake it was square one because one mm-hmm. mistake is enough to disqualify me from oh, yeah. perfection and even though i have fucking billions of mistakes in my arsenal every morning I was waking up fresh, trying to get the approval from my mom by aspiring to perfection. And that morning in that moment, I was like, well, I care a lot more about being great than I care about being perfect. So why don't I just like unhook myself from perfection and hook myself onto greatness? Because I can make a lot of mistakes and still be great. I can make a lot of mistakes. And, and instantaneously, like they, they talk in the course of miracles about the holy instant or a repentance where you're just like, boom, it was like, it didn't take a transition period. It's like, now I'm hooked on greatness. All of my past mistakes were like absolved for me. I feel free to be able to do things in my life that I've never felt free to do before, because I can start something and say, it's going to be super problematic for the first year or so while I'm figuring it out. I never know how to do something well for the first time. Everything I do is like learned, But I can make loads of mistakes and still be great. I just can't make loads of mistakes and be perfect. And that's Mm. okay. Because I don't, I recognize where that comes from. I wanted, my dad's affection was free. My mom's I had to work for. And how I worked for it was
2: perfection.
0: That, when you gave that Tony Robbins quote, I was, my whole body was filled with chills. Tell me yours. I started welling up. Uh, mine was the inverse. Mine was my dad. The part mm-hmm. that just fucking floored me and made me feel like the huge rush of energy was who did you have to be to attract the love that you were getting starved for? I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but like you have to be for them to love you. Yeah. Holy shit. Like if you really allow it to, if you look through the lens of everything you've done in your adult life, Fuck off if that's not the entire driving factor of all your subliminal behavior.
1: It's crazy. So who do you have to be for your dad to love you?
0: Masculine. Mm. Productive. Mm. Honest. And this is kind of the piece of like, there's some parts of it that like, and this is when I got talked to earlier about the grieving process and sort of like going through and forgiving him, myself, et cetera. There's so, it's like a miasma of things connected together because there was a lot of good. Yeah. 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 It was even wrapped up in the person I had to become to attract his love. Like yeah, it made me hyper productive at work. It's why I've made so much money in my vocation mm-hmm. is because he, you know, broke me in that way. If you want to look at it like that. And so am I not going to be grateful for that? Am I not going to be grateful for this beautiful house and my family and yeah. and all this kind of stuff? It's, it's like
1: you really well up until this point, you know, the map it's, it's like the pursuit of perfection has brought me to where I am today because, and so much of that is useful. It's the part that's not useful that I can ditch. It's now safe for me to ditch the part that wasn't useful
0: what got us here won't get us there. And I love the way you just phrased that. It's safe for me to ditch this because what underpins all of our pathology, if you really inspect it close enough, is a lack of safety, a Mm -hmm. feeling of uncertainty and abject terror that -hmm. you will be annihilated if you do not do X.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that really comes into my parenting game too. When I'm like not being present with just the existing chaos, and thinking about is my son going to shoot up a school? That <laughs> doesn't change today, you know. And I literally get so afraid. Like one of the one of the most default laws that most humans live under is is the law of imagination. And the bottom line is that imagination isn't real but the 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 clause of the law of imagination is that you never imagine yourself succeeding you your imagination it's different than visualizing like visualizing a positive outcome takes work but imagination is always defaulted to just chaos like and and an extended chaos like my son's going to grow up and shoot up a school and I'm going to lose my entire career and everyone's going to think I'm a failure and I'm going to start doing heroin because I've never tried that before and then I'm going to become a terrible addict and people are going to be ashamed of me I'm going to be in an unmarked grave people are gonna just know not to talk about me and imagination is always like hey let's go on this like unchecked terror ride and your body doesn't know that that's not real like it's 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 the imagination is from a fourth way perspective like a pretty inconvenient like glitch infection of the mind that you want to get into control as soon as possible. Um, But your body isn't aware that that's not actually happening. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm no longer processing the chaos that's at hand because I'm here thinking about what my Susan Klebold TED Talk is going to look like. And, you know, and I'm and I'm and I'm panicking. So the next time I hear a loud noise or whatever, it's like that's right chaos right now. I'm like, ah! <laughs> you know, and I and I, I lose I lose power. It's like I don't have the ability to make the choices the choices that I that I want to, and because I'm like feeling extremely afraid of something that ultimately doesn't exist and isn't even happening right now. Mm. It's a really it's a a
0: really crazy place to be in that um that concept of being in a place so what i've noticed particularly um on the this is a wild left turn but on the come up of mushrooms Mm -hmm. there's this like vibration that happens inside and affects your perception and it's more violent the less now you are, mm. so the more you're harassing yourself about the past or terrorizing yourself about the future. The it, it's like a a whip mm. pulling you back and forth, mm. and it's so exaggerated then because there's all control is lost. It's mm-hmm. just like buckle mm-hmm. the fuck up. But I think the same thing happens all day every day. You are only at peace and equanimity right now. Yes. And if you ever get into flow state, whether it's through art, music, sex, dancing.
1: Cleaning your house.
0: Cleaning your house. Like, it can be simple things. Going for a walk, tending your garden. If you are in flow state and you are right here, right now, thanks Ram Dass, Alan Watts, all these greats, there is nowhere else to be and it feels perfect, instant to instant. There is no anxiety nor stress in the now. And it is so hard to conceive of that. If if it's never been explained to you, if you've never experienced it, if you've never had any practice, but then it's almost like I was talking with a client uh, recently. I do life coaching on the side and we were texting back and forth and he was talking about how you know, like what the fuck is this path? Like, what what have I gotten myself into? And it's like, well, if you knew what you were getting yourself into, you'd probably be too scared to actually get into it. Oh, a hundred percent. The other side of that coin is what else are we doing? Yeah. It's like a video game, right? It's like of course you level up one level and you understand, oh, there's a whole nother map over here, and oh, there's all these new physics rules and things and of course, it's going to get more challenging because if it didn't, you'd be bored in a week.
1: Yes, 100%. I say all the, like, I was very resentful in my first couple of years of business because I was like, if I had any idea how hard this was, I would have never done it. Like, literally no ways. like, somebody should have told me that it was going to be the beginning <laughs> so that I could have opted out. And now I'm like, I'm, I'm really happy because it's true. Like, I, I wouldn't have ever done it. But someone, it's so crazy that like, I I know that I get into this is like the illusion that you know anxiety or berating myself about things in the past or you know anxiety about things in the future mental preparation which is such a ruse anyway like you're just talking yourself out of doing something or convincing yourself that it's going to be a certain way but I the illusion that it's empowering you in some way when like the only place that you have any power is now everything right. else is just is just fantasy power replaying a situation as if you could do it differently or you know planning how you're gonna act in the future like it, it's strange that i that it'll it'll seem like oh wow let me let me let me prep like it's not it's not prep it's not empowering in in any way And my husband's like a lot better at being present than I am. Like my husband is literally like the most, he's so fucking annoying. He's the most present, like the most peaceful, (laughs) like the most present, like always just like in the now in the flow. And I'm like,
0: he's got a lot of San Diego energy. Yeah.
1: He's never been, but he's really, no, he's like such San Diego energy. He's like very, like, he's like the most wholesome person in the entire world and so peaceful. And even when he was a kid, like his parent, like his dad told me, yeah, he was a really easy kid. You know, you could just tell him no. I said you could just tell him no. You know, <laughs> he could just was such a good. Everyone was always, oh, you know, he's an old soul, his inner peace. So this is just how how he is. And I'm the complete opposite. Like it is a it is a constant struggle for me to be present. I'm I'm in been doing a daily meditation practice. Because I was like, I'm never meditating again. And then when I accept something, then it changes for me. But I've been trying to meditate. And I have been meditating every single morning just for 10 minutes. But every single day, I spend the first eight minutes unconsciously thinking about things, like not realizing that I've been thinking for the first eight minutes. And then I spend them two minutes praying for help. And that's like my like please forget help. <laughs> I don't know. Like why? And I know the tools to get my mind to stop. You know, like yeah. I know, I know how to do this. I know how to stop my thoughts, but I forget. I, I forget, and every single morning my meditation practice looks the same. It's like eight minutes of like. Next thing I know, I've planned out everything from five a.m. to seven thirty p.m., and then I'm like, "Shit!" Like I was supposed to be meditating
2: <laughs> that whole
1: time, and then I and then I just I just pray like, "Please help me," because apparently I can't do this part right. So I can only succeed if you help me. So like, please help me.
0: <laughs> I gonna make some. Do you ever notice just thinking about your husband? and his uh his problem his way of being <laughs> the most divine matches that i've found and i'm counting my wife and i as one it's almost like they're the most polar opposite possible mm. like can you imagine if you married you oh my god well i was
1: a tra- i'd be in jail or dead
0: there's like no other outcome
1: i could definitely not handle it whatsoever i dated a guy that was similar to me and I was like, why, why is this going so bad? And
0: it's like, you can't. It's like fun for a minute. It's like, wow, this is a high ride. And then it's just like, Jesus, we're all gonna die. Everyone's gonna die.
1: Yeah, but they say, like, there's a parable about a woman that went to heaven and she loved it. Like she was there with the etheric doubles of everyone she had ever known. She was like, Oh my god, this is great. This is such a party. Like everyone's so wonderful, except for like this one lady over there. Like, what's her deal? She makes everything about herself. She's so like, and everyone is like, Ooh. And she's like, What? Who is that? And they're like, That's you. Yeah, that's you. And I would not be able, I've dated people that were really similar to me and seeing myself like that, we all, I'm so happy my husband's so different than me because I will never fall out of love with him because it's just always something, some new, some new thing where I'm like, what, uh, but I would, I have opposite love
0: languages. Pretty
1: Oh yeah. And in there, they talk about like the two communication styles, like the babbling brook and the dead sea, like the dead sea water comes in, but it doesn't go out. And I'm on the babbling brook. But my husband and I, we have a love language. That's not really, tell me which one you think this would fall in because for we've, we've done this a few times and we both say like humor, like humor is our number one. We break hmm. each other's balls, like all day long, like, uh, like, And I I guess it's an aspect of, like, quality time. Like, you have to be – our jokes aren't really, like, textable, but humor, like, brutal, scathing, like, deprecating
0: humor. There's something divine about that. I I recently saw Anthony Jeselnik and Jimmy Carr. And if you're familiar with either of them, they're fully cancelable 24-7, like (laughs) – It is just off the charts, like dead baby jokes, Nazi jokes. I mean, just like trans trans is like the least of things that they're tripping over. And honestly, I think that there's truly something divine about comedy that when you share it with somebody, it's almost like you're creating a language together that is unique in such a way that it creates a bond And there's like a a trust wrapper that says, I trust you enough to say this sick, dark shit. Mm -hmm. And I trust that you trust enough that you won't reject me or be repelled by me. And there's, I don't really know how to describe it, but there's something that, because all my best friends are like the common core of it is we say the most insane shit. It's like, you're the most unhinged with the people that you have the closest relationship. Yeah, with.
1: Cause you can be yourself with them. They say in the fourth way that, um, and I, I thought that this was fascinating and I've unpacked this into like all areas of my life and business, but laughter from a fourth way perspective, the phenomenon of laughter is your brain is trying to categorize. Is this a yes or a no? And as it's trying and it replays it over and over then, somebody slipping on the ice and wipe out. Is this a yes? Like, oh my God, that's so funny, or a no, oh my God, that's so wrong. And your brain like like chokes on it basically until you're able to self-categorize, yes, that's that's funny, or no, like this is not funny to me. And and that's why like like funny ads work so because you they're so effective because you're just replaying it over and over and over in your head. You're getting like 10 times the ad spend for free. But they That's say that fast. Jesus never laughed, that he uh, never laughed. So I don't think Jesus and I would get along very well.
0: I don't, I don't trust the historians.
1: You know, I, I never really – the Essene Gospel of Peace is a super cool book. Um, it's basically like Jesus's direct teachings to his disciples. But after I read that, I picked it up at an Airbnb in North Carolina. I was fascinated. It's like literally Jesus explaining how he did miracles, how he cast out devils. And it's really all like fasting, fasting and praying, that type of thing. From a fourth way perspective, it would be building up an excess of force and then directing that force to something else. Um, but I was, I had the Barbara Walker tarot and Barbara Walker was the first person. I forget the name of it. Um, but she was the first person I ever heard of that was like. The, the Essenes were a group of teachers and it's really well known that Jesus studied with the Essenes but basically like the Essenes were a group of teachers that every 200 years or so they would send an emissary out into the world to like demonstrate the teachings and basically turning out a Christ every 200 years to be like you know this is what we're up to and this is what we're doing and so that's like her perspective that there wasn't re- and she has all the she's she wrote like the, the woman's book of myths and secrets and she has a book on symbols um but then a a friend of mine twitchy witch on you know twitchy witch oh yeah love i love love the twitch i love her but she's always uh citing interesting stuff from like different texts like the quran uh like the quran she says and um about how jesus in in some texts was never killed and so there's a lot it's been interesting to kind of hear from these different people like all of the ways, all of these other explanations of of Jesus, but even just in the book, like the Magdalene manuscript or really anything talking about, you know, from like Mary Magdalene's perspective is just the appreciation for the fact that Jesus was a very highly trained teacher he was just a highly trained teacher and that he really, and then when you look at his life as like, you know, being sent to live in the temples and stuff when he was really young, going to the Essenes, being exposed to a lot of different doctrines, for example, like the Isis teachings and stuff like that. It's, it's really, it, it's like I was able to develop so much respect for him, which then turned into love, which is kind of how things go for me. It's like, I I don't really love people that I don't respect. Um, but it was like, I was able to develop a really strong
0: unpack that. What's that? You ever unpack that?
1: Uh, respect and love. No, I've never even said that out loud until, until now.
0: (laughs) That's interesting. Cause I actually, I find one of my biggest triggers is when someone's being illogical, Mm. I get into a very like it's almost a rage state. Like it will just draw me out of my equanimity so fast. And it, it's almost, it feels akin to a respect kind of concept Mm -hmm. where it's like, there's something that's lacking truth here. And well, maybe I'm projecting, but the people that I respect the least are the people who are being the least real, who are, who are speaking and acting the least true.
1: Yeah. And that's something that definitely I'm not going to say that, like, I'm past this, but but it used to really get on my nerves, like something I actually had to, like, reshoot a video today, because whenever there's two ways that I react to things, usually one would be from a human design perspective. This is if you guys are in a human design, this is your your Mercury on your conscious side tells you what your messaging should be. Um, When my messaging is on brand from a human design perspective, I'm really here to demonstrate a a vast love for the world exactly as as it is a mother great like whatever you do doesn't piss me off. I love you. You're doing the best that you can. And when it's off brand, it's this very specific taste of being irritated and critical of the world for not being. and, And to me, I'm like, you're lazy like you're like illogical disrespectful I'm like you're fucking lazy and Mm -hmm. any message that I send from that place is going to have a repellent quality to people Mm -hmm. and it's always something that won't really like sit right with me like I'll be replaying it a lot in my head but I'm really there's levels of consciousness and We've all started at the same level of consciousness. Some people woke up really early in life, but nobody was born awake because that's just not what humans incarnate to do. And one of my best friends ever, the like one of my best friends for the longest period of time, his brother was actually my, my fiance that died. And he told me in the last conversation we had, he said, not everyone wants to know the meaning of life. And it had never occurred to me. I thought that that was what drove all humans because it's literally like all that I care about. And it was at that moment that I knew that the relationship was done and I was able to to let it go without being too upset about it. But at these, at different levels of consciousness, I'm not even going to say higher and lower, but at different levels of consciousness, like that's all that exists. And It takes, you can't, you can't blame them for it because it's, you have to really want to think different to think different. And the world that you live in when you're thinking differently is just a completely different world that is equally illogical to someone in a different level of consciousness, equally uninteresting, equally disrespectful, and just completely irrelevant to the mission at at hand. And when I graduated into a higher level of teachings, which took a heavy detoxing period of about two years of realizing that the error of, of my past thoughts and then making peace with it. Um, but I stopped trying to convert people because not everybody wants it. Like not, not everybody wants it. And in the fourth way they say that, um, that, that consciousness this is a very unpopular opinion, but I'm not here to convert everybody. They say that consciousness is not like an infinite resource for humanity, that there's really only so much. And if we spread it too thin, it would be like you have a little bit of gold and you're trying to spread it all over the whole house and you end up with just this shabby job. Like it would be yeah. so much better if you just gilded one thing and had that one thing be really pure and really beautiful. And even though people don't like this perspective, I think it is easy to see how, like, even if we were to look at something like yoga and, and no hate to the, you know, the, fu- the fusion yoga, and no hate to the mango sushi or whatever, but things do get diluted as, right. as they get passed on and passed on. And, and at this point, I don't, I, I can recognize just a little bit better every day I get a little bit better, but I'm definitely not there yet. But I, Every day, I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at, at saying, like, I'm not going to try and convert this person. I'm not going to argue with them because I don't know if they incarnated to awaken. Like, this might just be what they're doing for this round. And someone's only going to ever awaken if they really, 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 really want it. And I have no guarantees that they that they want it. And, and the goal of all of this is to one day become like genuinely compassionate for people, which is is not yeah is not where I'm at right now, but I'm trying to get there of being able to see as if I was looking at my child who, you know, my children are very illogical, but to be able to look at somebody that's telling me that I'm a racist because I said black magic with the same level of like confusion and humor and I love as,
2: so fucking as my
1: kids trying to pour eggnog in the jacuzzi and just be like, this is, this is the level.
0: <laughs> Do you know, what's funny. I, my first experience with anything spiritual at all, I had a boss. I uh, started working for him in 2007. So, I don't know, 16 years ago at this point. We're still very close friends. And he's my first, like, real mentor, yeah. spiritual mentor. And he's big into Buddhism. And, you know, I was in my 20s at the time, probably early mid 20s. And he said, you know, When you've really reached pure peace and equanimity, if somebody broke into your house and killed your whole family, you would have all the waves of emotion that go along with that. And then in equal force, you would have the emotion of sorrow for how much suffering that person had to have been in to have committed such a heinous act. Mm. And for some reason, I find that an easier thing to contemplate actually living out than I do being stoic around the ultra woke.
2: Mm.
0: <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's like my Achilles heel, the kind of insane stuff that comes up, the like word games, the, you know, it probably goes back to the logic thing. Mm -hmm. right where it's just like this is so obviously not real this is a you know false scaffolding scaffolding and it's all going to collapse and you're all going to look foolish um it's just amusing to me that with something so dramatic that you know and i do honestly mean that like that would enter my mind i'm quite because i've been contemplating it for well over a decade
2: Mm -hmm.
0: whereas like this little menial thing somebody talking about you know some you know political propaganda, like who cares? But that sends me off like way more that concept. It's, it's, it's funny how, as, you know, healed or ascended or whatever term you want to use, you might feel like you are. It's like one degree of shift. And it, it's like nothing has happened. You're just, you're a child again.
1: Yeah. And that's something that's really like, so my teacher, one of my teachers, Wuda, who does uh, like global tea hut and tea ceremony and stuff, he's a really cool teacher, actually, and uh, Zen, and he he said like teachings aren't arguments, and this was in I think 2019 or 2020 when I heard him say this, and and at the time like I was still teaching on the first level, I was still, and you you know that you're teaching on the first level, and there's no shame in that. Everyone has to do it. Um, but you know, you're teaching at the first level when it's really hard for you, when people disagree with you, because the first level of teachings are subjective and it's basically like just your story. And that's where everyone has to start. But, and you very much want them to be objective. You very much want what is true for you to be true for everybody. And so when somebody's like, this is not true, or this is so wrong, you get really angry about it. And like I said, like I've been teaching at the second level, since about 2021 and really planted in it only since last year. Um, but it's a transition period where it's like, it's still triggering. You just, it, it's like the, it's like a fart, you know, like it's horrifying when you first smell it, but then you're like, especially if you're in this house, but then you can like, you know,
0: what a beautiful analogy
1: <laughs> and then you like get, get used to it. But at a second level of teachings where you're really, where you're resting on something, at the first level of teaching, you're resting on something that's not you that can be taken away from you. Like it feels Mm -hmm. true to you, but it's not your true self. It's not, it's not objective. And when you're leaning on, on objectivity, when you're leaning on, on truth, there really is no argument because you're like, well, I, I just don't really care how you feel about it because this is just what it is. Like by all means, fuck around and find out. But like, I don't really care how you feel about it. But then with that also comes like, I don't really care about how you feel about anything else because I'm on some other shit. Like I'm on some, I got, I I was really proud of myself this, this time around because for some reason, like the, the Ukraine stuff was like no big deal for me. Uh, I was like not falling for this shit again. I know what it's like to get locked in duality and to become really political. And I know that that's not the way. And then when all of this stuff started happening with Gaza, uh, I was invited so much to have a call. What do you think about this? And I was like, no matter what, I am not falling for this again. I am determined to be the vocal middle. To I am determined to give a voice to The middle, and be like, this is what the middle path looks like, and that's okay. And don't let anyone else try and wrap you up in, because this is not the truth. The truth of existence is that nothing happens on Earth that hasn't cleared God's plate. The truth of existence is that compassion is not shaking your fist at the sky and saying like, this is wrong, we have to fix it, but also not being mad. You know, the world wouldn't exist if it wasn't for people that did incarnate to be social justice warriors. Like being a social justice warrior, we need people like that. We also need people that don't want to awaken to keep the economic machine going so that we don't have to do that, so that we can focus our time and our energy on that little bit of gold that's available when so many people are saying, no, thank you. So I'm really grateful to the social justice warriors for doing their jobs, but that's not my job. And, And I can say that's not my job and rest on that and be cool with that because I've learned from my mistakes because I've tried it the other way. I can do that without taking it personally that people say I'm, I'm shirking my responsibility as a social warrior. I, as a social justice warrior, I absolutely am. I am shirking that responsibility because it's not mine for this, for this lifetime. And.
0: You want the most obnoxious analogy possible.
1: Yeah. Tell me.
0: I fucking hate mosquitoes. Really, I hate them,
1: what?
0: and I hate I hate yellow jackets. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing except that I'm going to compare them to social justice warriors <laughs> and people <laughs> who refuse to awaken. It's like there's so much about this universe that we couldn't possibly conceive what it's here for, what it means, or how it impacts us and i but i do know conclusively from a biological and physics and chemistry standpoint that if you ripped out every mosquito off this planet that would be a significant detriment to all species it would mm-hmm. we cannot fathom what like the series of collapses that would occur from that and so i can't fathom what type of a autocracy would come about if the social justice warriors didn't exist right because the amount of power that has been able to accrue in the form of money and technological power and all this kind of stuff it's almost like it calls forth out of the ether right from the void must come this opposing force to keep it in that yin yang balance yeah. and as annoying as it is for me to witness it and to to wish that it wasn't there it has to be and to your point it it cleared the charter well above my head mm-hmm. right like the idea, and and whether you're in deep meditation or on psychedelics or having, you know, a a spiritual experience, there's a moment where you just laugh out loud at the notion of control and the notion of like, you're going to hide things from God or that there is no God. Like all of it just becomes just.
1: Or that you can do a better job than. Right. It's like
0: (laughs) you are, you are not even a fart in the wind. Yeah. Right. You, we are nothing but a what appears to be a hologram for God's enjoyment at best, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And so to not humble yourself enough to think that maybe there's something we don't know. And then the same way that, you know, if you look back on your life and all the things that you thought were horrible, and I'm sure knowing what I know about your history, I'm sure that it would not be unreasonable to list dozens of them and people will go, well, yeah, I'm sure I wish those things didn't happen. But at the same time, what would your life be without them and so how do we not count those things as blessings yeah right every single thing that happens to us is a fucking blessing when it's compared to the cold dark void of space
1: yeah and this is something i i don't i don't know about mosquitoes i definitely got very mad at mosquitoes when both my kids got dengue in costa rica and it was like every mosquito was a threat But every time like it's fly season, I always find myself really just gobsmacked at how courageous flies are, like (laughs) courageous and persistent. I'm like, I'm the biggest and most violent thing in the room. Yet you swoop on in and I swat you away and you return to the same spot to buzz and pester me like, what? You are crazy. If I had half the fucking balls that these flies have, like what could be, what could be possible? It's not mosquitoes and it's not yellow jackets because I get very like weird about those things, but I am always super impressed by flies. And there's at least one time a year where I'm like, I think a fly is my
0: favorite animal for real. Wow. Wow. it's your spiritual guideposts. Who would have thought?
1: How convenient for me because there's a ton of them.
2: They're
0: everywhere. why Every yeah, exactly. could be
1: a sign for me, I'd be in, I'd be. But even like mosquitoes, you know, to be like, what a thing to be like a sanguineous animal, you know, and to have the thing that you absolutely need for or a sanguineous insect to have the thing that you absolutely need for your survival, be inside the body of something that's like bigger than you. And you just hope in your life that you can go unnoticed, like living off the blood of other things. Like that is a crazy, I (laughs) got my son and I've been having a lot of talks about incarnation and Well, my son has these like quantum questions, which I love to, I love to hear about. And like I said, it can be what, before we started recording, like it can be a two-edged sword. Like my son will say beautiful things like, mom, I hope I cross you in every life I live in. And then also like, I know, but then when he doesn't get his way, he's like, I hope I never have a life like this again. And that this is, you know, I'll be like, you dick, Like, like, leave me alone. But, uh, but
0: do you guys do Alexa or Google Home or anything?
1: No, like that? we don't. We but we had an Airbnb where they had something like that one time. But usually when my son, like I'm I'm the same with my son as I am. If if anybody else asks me questions about like what happens after death, I usually just just tell them this is what this tradition believes and this one and this one and this one. And this one. Ultimately nobody knows. Uh, but my son has been pretty interested in like incarnation, and we were watching Moana a while ago. And the old, the old
0: lady, God, I love Oh so my me
1: too. It makes me cry. But you know how the the old lady has like a tattoo of a manta ray. You know, so then we come back as one of these. My son goes, well, I think I'm going to get a tattoo of a frog. <laughs> so I I got to talk to him about uh about what life would be like if you reincarnate
0: as an amphibian mosquito cause... nice. The reason I asked about the Alexa and Google Home thing is it's been interesting um, to see what they ask Alexa. Oh yeah,
1: so like, what's the most interesting thing?
0: Well, just last week he said, "What happens when I?" Oh,
1: what Alexa say?
0: I don't know. I I actually haven't had the chance to ask. I think my wife did. Um, But it's just it's a what a phase of life, you know, to just be a complete sponge in anything. You're so ready to be molded. And it's just such a beautiful phase and at the same time, such a phase of great anxiety and dread for parents, right? Because if you know that that's true and you haven't fully surrendered, which who of us has, then you're constantly worrying about like, oh my God, this is their most impressionable years. And what if I do or say or expose them to this or don't expose them to enough of this? And it's like, there's there's always a laundry list of never enough. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and at some point you've just got to say i'm i've got my north star i know where i'm headed and like we were saying before about the boat like water's going to splash in but like i'm just going to keep rowing north Mm -hmm. because what else is there to Mm do
1: i'm like in the steve jobs like this this has been i was really surprised at how much i learned from the steve jobs book
0: this is the walter isaac one yeah yeah yeah
1: and um and you know we just got the elon musk one too
2: oh it's Is it so, so good, good. okay
1: because I, I knew a lot oh. about it we have it my husband already started it but I'm so mad that it's like the same exact cover as a Steve Jobs one and Steve Jobs was really not cool with the different mock-ups because if you look at Walt- Walter Isaacson's old books they're all like super weird they look like a freaking, like a Carolyn Mace Sacred Contracts book like it looks really Oh, really no shit. but steve jobs and you can tell by the cover of the book i'm looking at it right now that that is like very apple you know he's like i need right. he's like no you're this is not going to be the cover of my book this is going to be the cover of my book but elon musk is like the same font and the same style those walter it's like boom my new style horseshit my do that yeah. <laughs> steve jobs but nothing this is like one of the most useful things that i got from the book is like Nothing deflates that drama like a mundane, boring truth. I'm not perfect. No parent is perfect. My kids aren't perfect. I'm literally the only one that might even think they're close to being perfect. Um, And I'm trying the best that I can. I'm definitely traumatizing my kids. All kids are getting trauma. I'm doing the best that I can. This is, but I'm not perfect. And that's
0: And as a teacher or a coach or a mentor or anybody who's trying to help others, I think there can be a lot of crippling fear surrounding that. And the mundane truth that you just spoke, which is so irrefutable, it's like, if you only took advice from perfect people, then like, I got bad news. Christ died a long time ago, probably. And it's like, so you're going to be holding your breath for a long ass time. Like, so no one's going to give anyone else advice ever. Right, because there's no perfect person. So at some point you have to assume like Tony Robbins, great example. He is such a great positive force for the world. I've been to his seminars, I've listened to all his books, right? Like, but I'm in a different place now. I'm looking for slightly different things, but at the same time, like that the quotable that you just it's still take my legs out from underneath me. It's unbelievable. But he's not perfect. I guarantee you he's not perfect. Right? But people People get so tricked into thinking, "Well, I'm not this perfect version of Tony Robbins that I see six foot, you know, eleven on stage, with just this monstrosity of a man." Born and on
1: leap ex- had a friggin' tumor in his pineal gland when he was twenty-one.
0: Gigantism, yeah, like, it's like, insane. He's right? literally very special. He's very- but you got to know he's got all the skeletons in his closet, just like we all do. The question is simply, what does he do to transcend those to be able to continue? to do divine work and help other people find purpose and healing. And to me, that was so hard because getting started on this journey, you just don't feel like, who the fuck am I? Who am I to say anything to anybody, right? I look back at my past, the insane stuff. Like, you know, I, when I met my wife, the year I met my wife, I had a 413 credit score, which is so hard to get that low. Like you basically, the only thing I could have done worse would be to have a repossession and a uh, bankruptcy that year. That's like the only thing I could have possibly done to have made it worse. I owed everyone I knew money. I was on and off different kinds of drugs. I was drinking to excess regularly. Like everything was sideways, right? And so how could that person suddenly be helping other people live a more divine existence or find healing or purpose or whatever. It's, it's so hard to reconcile with yourself. And so it's almost like, you know, you talk a lot about blocks recently, money blocks in particular. And it's one of those things where like, if you do not address that thing, you will never get past it. You will, I would never have been able to start this journey if I had not just retired the old thinking that nobody nobody wants to listen to yeah. me I have nothing to say or I don't deserve it, or I'm not the you know I'm not good enough, I'm not special enough, like whatever it is, if you can't find the way to get that block out of out of your your psyche, your spirit, I don't know exactly what the right phraseology is, then like you're just gonna end up in this loop and you're gonna swirl around like you can never make it to a higher yeah, level
1: I'm really like. To speak to exactly that, because I have so many people, people come to me with this all the time, you know, it's different shades of who am I to teach? I'm too fucked up. I'm not fucked up enough. You know, what do I, but looking up so much to your teachers that you feel like you can never throw your hat in the ring and all teachers start at the first level, which is the level of sharing your story. Like that's really the, there's no way you can go to the second level until you've shared your story over and over and over again healing it in that way and healing other people with the same with the same story but one of the biggest like misconceptions and i definitely fell for this too is like this this idea that people want a life coach that doesn't have problems and it's like life is problems that's what right. life is <laughs> the only person that would even think about hiring a life coach is somebody that have has problems. And they're looking for somebody that has had the same problems that can help them overcome it. And so if you're not talking about your problems, you're not advertising as a teacher at all. And as you talk about your problems, or you're able to recognize like, wow, I'm really having a problem with my relationship with my mom right now, or I'm really having a problem making money, like, just go... Go, they, they say in A Course in Miracles in the teacher's manual, which is really good, even if you don't, A Course in Miracles. Um, but they say that, like, a teacher doesn't ask, like, what do I most want to teach? A teacher asks, like, what do I most want to learn? And then you just go mm-hmm. and, and learn that and you share with people, I'm learning this right now. And then people go, oh shit, I have the same problem. But now they associate you with being the person that found the, the key to that problem. But if you're trying to advertise a problem free life, first of all, that's not what life is. And second of all, you're never going to get any clients because it's only somebody that if if your client can admit that they have problems and you can't, then you're not the teacher in the situation. The sooner you can get comfortable telling the world, I have problems, I've always had problems. And this is what I'm doing to work this and once you work with you know if you ever work one-on-one with a teacher you see that connection that like wow what they're talking about social on social media is what they're going through right now like it's not some oh you know three years ago I was going through this thing and, and this is what I figured out they're literally like healing themselves by teaching about the shit that's going on with them right now. They're giving themselves a reminder. They didn't wake up this morning and be like, you know what message the world needs today? Uh Calm down. You're in debt, but you'll be okay. They're telling that message to themselves. Like chill. And and that's what's attracting more people. And that's what's actually healing people. And, And I think that this is why So many early coaches and early teachers, they're like, I'm cranking out content like crazy, but nothing is working. You're probably cranking out content that you feel comfortable with. What do I want to teach? This is what I know. And what you're meant to do is crank out the content that you're uncomfortable with. Like, I don't know, here's what I most need to learn, but I'm going to figure this out for you, for me and for humanity, because no one should have to struggle with this the way that I've been struggling
2: with it.
0: How do you deal with the um
2: dichotomy of the the divine desire to help and to heal with the perverse pull
0: of fame and fortune?
2: I mean I don't really I, I...
1: I've never really felt that the, the pool of fame and fortune was perverse. Like Tony Robbins has been a, a hero for me for like a really long time because of his fame. And he worked very hard for fame. He said running these, he says, I don't like my fucking infomercials, but I got to get this message out there. I got to get this hmm. message out there. And he knew from a really young age that like, if he wanted to heal people the way that he had been healed, he was going to need to reach a lot of people. Like for me, fame has always been synonymous. Fame for me has never been defined on like being on the cover of Us Weekly. Fame for me is like how many people are listening to me speak about what it is that's changed my life. Like it's, that's, and, and fortune for me is the ability to get this message out further, to get this message out further without it taking a long time. Like when I was early in business and I had no money, I remember my phone broke and I had like no money. I had to, I'm the queen of negotiations. I called T-Mobile three times until I got somebody that would agree that I did really deserve a free phone sent to me without having to send my old one back. But it took me two weeks to get a new phone just so that I could do my business, literally. And I was like, this takes way too long. My, My favorite thing about money, is just the ease in which I get to do what needs to be done. If I need a new phone, I get a new phone. If I need a count ca- if I if I don't know how to do something, I pay someone to do something. But if I didn't have like, for example, if I didn't make enough money to be able to keep most of my time free, then I would not be able to educate my children myself, which is what I want to do, which means that I wouldn't be able to teach other people how to educate their children and run a business at the same time, which means that every child out there that I've never even met, that's, whose parents are even remotely touched by my work, end up getting enrolled into a system that failed their parents and will fail them because I didn't want, didn't feel like making money was spiritual. Like it's the money that gives me the time to do that. And most people can't do that because they don't have the money or the time to be able to. So I've just never seen, I don't see the divine desire of actually wanting to help people being somehow inhibited or blocked by fame and fortune because I feel like my desire for fame and fortune is divine because that allows me to genuinely serve people more and for cheaper as well.
0: Like, so how do you reconcile the religious? scripture which well i'm not i said earlier i don't necessarily believe in uh the historians right because i don't necessarily take every word that was written as god's word or christ's word or mm-hmm. anything but there's quite a bit of scripture not just in christianity and judaism but like across cultures that asceticism is divine that there's some high value in um I don't want to say not enjoying yourself, but in, in moderate, all things moderation. Mm -hmm. Right. Although I will say in Christianity, there's this hyper focus on like giving everything away and having nothing for yourself. Like, is that a misinterpretation in your mind? Like where do how do you see those things not reconciled? Because anybody who shows up to do spiritual work is going to bump into this concept at some point where it's like, well, I can afford to do all these things, but should I really like go on this vacation when I could take that same money and plow it into reaching more people? Right. Let's just even say, it's not even about like doing something else for myself, but it's like, I'm going to just, everything is in the works as opposed to let me wind it way back. How do you differentiate between filling your cup so that you can show up better for the people who need you and excess? I'll make it as simple as that.
1: That's a really good, that's a really good question. And the first thing, the first thing that I want to say is, I, I have a lot of gratitude for the level of consciousness that I incarnated into, which was duality, the exoteric version of the Bible, which is, you know, not the deeper meaning of it. but any type of religious conditioning isn't something it's something that I'm actively trying to release. And so if that were to come up in, like, you know, the Bible says it's not good to, you know, it's not good to have a lot of money or have excess or something like that. The Bible also said that God made everyone who sinned the color of soot. You know, the Bible said a lot of things, the Bible said a lot of things that were not, and the Bible has been translated a lot and there's three you know there's three levels of teaching and in the bible you get to see all three you get to see the story you get to see the myth and the parable and you get to see the symbolism at the at the deepest level of all of it but what i have learned is that i went through a phase where i was like buying myself a lot of stuff because i felt like it was what the world needed for me um, and I think that everybody that's new to money, like will go through this phase of just a hundred thousand funny money. Um, and, and they'll look back on that. Like I remember seeing a video of ASAP Rocky and he's looking back on some of his old outfits and he's like, Oh, like, why am I wearing so many labels? You know, like, Oh, like that's not fashion. It's very like cringe for him. I, I feel the same way about, about choices that I've made with money, but I had just never had money before. And now I know, and I, I didn't know how to even like invest in the business or anything like that. But what I feel is that like, if the desire to serve is really strong, then that'll outweigh everything else. If the desire to serve is really strong, like for example, I really, 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 really wanted to build erotic wealth, like so bad. I wanted to do it and I couldn't believe how long it was taking. And I went through many waves of it where first, the reason why I wanted to make erotic wealth was just to make money so that we could get a house. And it was all very much related to me. And it was only when I was faced so often with couples that it, it, the, the timeline was getting shorter. So I was meeting a lot of couples that had already divorced and were miserable. And I was like, I want to make erotic wealth. As I started moving towards it, I were meeting people that had just divorced and then were thinking about divorcing. And I was like, I got to get these, I got to get this out so I can get to people earlier. When that intention changed of really wanting to, to serve people and it, it had nothing to do with me, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this because I'm so sick of it not being in the world. Then... Then I was able to recognize that I had been thinking about it the totally wrong way. And then when I set up out to really build, build it, I realized that no amount of sitting and like crunching at my computer, clanking together the I don't know with the I know, was going to make new consciousness come forward. That what I needed to be shown could only come if I got myself in a way where I could be shown. And so that involved mm. taking space or taking vacations or religiously
0: Is that the neutral? What's that? Is that that's the neutral, the neutral. For?
1: Yeah, that's the neutral. And so, but honestly, like I've learned everything from trial and error. It's like, how do I differentiate if it's coming from God or if it's coming from me? Shit, bro. I don't know. I like, literally <laughs> don't, I, but I'm trying to get better and better at, rec- at recognizing that. But all I know is that when it's coming from me, it falls flat on its face. And usually I don't know until it's <laughs> fallen flat on its face. So But we're making a reality series right now. And I had to really get real about like, why, why is it that I'm doing this? Like what core value does this connect to? And and I'm working with a CEO, a a coach training me how to run my business like a business so that I can grow it. Um, But when I really had to define like what core value is behind this, like, do I want a reality show because I love the Kardashians and what that did for them? Because if that's the only reason I have, like it's absolutely not going to succeed but now that I know that the only way people would ever get erotic wealth is if they could see what a balanced marriage looks like behind the scenes all the time. And now with that, why I can move forward. Um, lucky for me, I I was able to catch that one before it cost me a lot of time and money. But in the past, I've I've done things just for me and didn't realize it was just for me until the... It's ba- I didn't realize I was basically being like, guys, won't this be fun? You'll give me so much money. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and then it and and it just doesn't work. If it anything that has worked has been because I wanted it for a bigger reason than than just myself.
0: So what's your biggest learning from this nomadic year? Cuz I I recall that you you spent some time in New York, you spent some time in Costa Rica, right? So what and I'm sure you've had a lot of learnings in a year as as most people do, but if you had to summarize, like, what are the the takeaways? Like, what things were you wrong about, and what things surprised you in a good way?
1: What a great question! is why I love being on this podcast. That's why I'm like, let's do three, let's make this an annual thing, let's check in every six months. Nice. I love this. <laughs> um, the biggest thing that I've learned that I learned from being on the road is that like home is you, like home is you, and stability is you. So wherever you go, like that's Home, and that, like, all of and that, so much of the stuff that you're certain you need, like, you absolutely don't need at all. And also, that, like, you can change your life very, very quickly. Like, we get we accumulate stuff, and with stuff comes thoughts, you know, like, this is this is who I am, this is what I do, this is what we have, this is the routine that we need, this is what. The kids need, you know, convoluting what you need with what the kids need and this whole world. But like in any moment, you could drop everything, you could go and do something totally new and you would be totally fine. And the biggest realization for me ever was that so much, this was a big Costa Rica wake up. The most persistent, like plaguing thoughts that I had all the time, am I a good mom? Am I raising my kids okay? Are my kids feral? Am I doing a bad job? Literally every negative thought that I had related to my my capacity to parent, as well as am I productive enough? Am I doing the right things at work? Am I busy enough? All of these thoughts are Western thoughts. And these Mm. conversations are not happening in these countries.
2: Kids Mm. go along
1: wherever their parents go. And they're just, they're, they're, people just don't think about, they don't make a big fucking deal about it. You just bring your kids with you. They're at school. They're not at school. No big deal. They're eating. They're not Mm. eating like no big deal. They're running around like no big deal. And I just, I so badly needed to see that, like, when we are not talking about these things that I was just my whole head, a routine, and the, when you're not talking about things like this, what are you talking about? And it's like, literally, whatever is happening right now in this moment, like, that's mm. literally it. And I just... I'm so happy that we left and and tapped out of that thinking because now I know that I don't have to put it, that I don't have to put it back on. I just didn't know that like this is a an American this is an American phenomenon. Like they're not really stressed out about that. And once I once I knew that, you know, watching blogs or TikToks of people that had moved to like Spain or something like that, they're saying the same thing. And I know that America has like a really strong propaganda machine that that's always was a big part of the like American way. If people are always having kids, there is a way for propaganda to capitalize on that. And if you're insecure as a parent, like you can be sold a lot of things and seeing parents that just were not thinking every day about if they were doing, they were just doing it, you know, not constantly like how many stars would I give myself for my parenting today? Just doing it. I know I said in the beginning of this podcast that the people that aren't wondering if they're doing a good job or not are the ones that are probably fucking up their kids but now I have to also be like but they seem to be doing a perfectly fine job when everyone forgot about the right way to parent and are literally just doing what their parents did with them like the kids seem happy i got to say
0: it's it's fascinating and what's funny is when i heard you describing like what you were going through. I could see it through the lens of what you described earlier about getting your mom's affection. Mm. Right? All that perfectionism, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? I really It's interesting how it just pervades us. I, like rings like a gong through your whole life. Yeah,
1: and I'm really going to think about that before I go and meet up with my kids downstairs is is I wonder what my kids think I expect of them. I wonder what my kids
0: what is, oh,
1: I shit. wonder what my kids
0: what do they think they need to do to get your love? yeah
1: because I wow. feel like I feel like my daughter gets the most praise and stuff from me when she's being like sweet and loving and that's how my daughter oh. and my son are so my son's like super chaotic but I feel like my son gets no a lot more than my daughter was does and I wonder how much room he, you know, there's what I think I'm giving him, but I wonder how much room he feels like he has to fuck up. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
1: wonder if he thinks that he needs to be perfect for me to love him. So I'm really going to try and come at this from a few different angles with him and see if I can, you know, do my little secret psychoanalysis on him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <I'll be> like, <laughs> when do I give you the, you know, when do I give you the most love or what can, can you remember when I've been the proudest of you and see what, what he might have to say on something like that? Because what I do know is I, I want my kids to feel like, however they show up, I love them unconditionally, but saying that, mm-hmm. like I've told them a million times, no matter what you do, I love you. But saying that and having them actually feel like that's how it is are two different things. So I, I want I want my kids to be able to say that I loved them exactly as I was, but I don't just get to set that intention and that's how it goes. Like
0: by your fruits, you'll know. That. Do you know Jordan Peterson?
1: Yeah, I do actually.
0: So one of the things he talks about, and I think it first was referenced in his book, 12 Rules for Life, mm. An Antidote to Chaos talks about raising children and that never something like never let your children do anything it's, that other people would find annoying right.
1: well, he also says, don't let your children do anything that would make you not like them
0: oh, that's yeah. right, yes, it's all I'm wrapped talking into the same to my
1: husband about this you have to like your kids,
0: and it's this this like divine masculine feminine balance thing is so fucking fascinating, mm. right because Yes, you want your children to feel like Gaia is holding them unlimited, perpetual love. Everything is bliss. You're perfect exactly as you are. But also, don't fucking do that because you're not going to be invited back and you're going to be shunned. And if you're shunned, then you're going to be constantly vying for people's attention and you're going to find it, getting it in ways that are nefarious and dark, right? And you're going to end up with a person who does shoot up the school because, They were never accepted. They never had any friends. They were alone. Right. And it's like. What. But what a. What a interesting thing to have to balance. Mm -hmm. Right. Like. Because you do want them to feel. Like there is nothing but a perpetual stream of love. From me. To Mm -hmm. them. But at the exact same time. You have to draw those imaginary boundaries. So that they understand that this is the way. In which you can. Be of best use. To the this universe, is how you the most right? opportunities. Because if you get ejected out of the house and ejected out of everybody's house, then you can't be of any use because you're a pariah and you're just going to wither into the ground. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the differentiation between us and animals was created so that we could just be outside and be another animal. Yeah. Like there's, we're doing something here. Yeah. There's something about these works mm-hmm. and what a hard, knife edge to walk. and it's
1: literally always hard. Like it's always hard forever. That's why when we first got on the phone, I was like, okay, just tell me what you're dealing with a nine-year-old and six year old. Because like, I just did, I need to constantly remind myself that there's always going to be something that this isn't done, that there is no point B. And that when my children are moved out of the house, I will probably be concerned about whatever the fuck they're doing out of the house. Like it's never, it's never done. It's a forever, it's a forever thing. Um, It's a, it's a forever thing, but I really do like, I, I love that book by Jordan Peterson. And that was actually, I I cut ahead and read that chapter because it's, if you don't like your kids or worse, like if you're afraid of your kids, you know, a dog, how a dog can tell if you're, when you're not the boss, you know, like having, you know, dominance isn't control dominance is responsibility. It's taking responsibility for the situation. And being and having the, the wherewithal to be able to see like this is how we create a setting that's peaceful and this is what's disruptive to that. And this is who's out of flow and what needs to come into flow. Um, but if you don't like your kids and you're scared of your kids, and and a lot of people when they get to this junction with their kids, they're like, I'm just gonna have somebody else handle them. Like, let's let's hire somebody to do this. Maybe they need or to learn authority from somebody else, but it's like you if you don't like them, then, then the ship is sailing and they can, and they can pick up and they can pick up on that. Can,
0: my son told me last night, not liking somebody is the ex- literal polar opposite of infinite. Yeah. Love.
1: Yeah. And kids can be pretty fucking annoying, but if, but that's what the discipline is there for. And that's what the boundaries are there for, because it's like, look, like, I don't know how this fits for the whole world. You know, I don't know if it's, I, I, I can't say what anyone else should do with their kids, but. What I know is like, this is what I need and this is what makes me feel like I'm happy to be here and have, and, and this is what really doesn't work for me. These are the behaviors that really, really don't work for me. And if I'm in a situation constantly that really doesn't work for me, I'm not going to want to be there and I'm committed to being there for my kids for life. Therefore I have to take this risk. You know, I can't be afraid that my kids won't like me if I say no to them, because if I tap out on my kids like there's nobody else that's gonna
0: do it. And that's what happened in like the late 90s early 2000s we ended up with the participant ribbon culture right which has created this gen z of just like extremely fragile young adults nice. like if you talk to anybody who's in a university it it's really interesting to see what this like fear of your kids, either fear of the rejection from your kids or fear of fucking up your kids, whatever the thing is, that fear has caused a really interesting imbalance where now people are so, um, they're just incapable of being autonomous and taking their own it's risks.
1: A, it's a chunk of propaganda. I'm telling you, it's a chunk of propaganda. And there's everything is, a, everything is a two-edged sword. You know, like there's, a, I, I follow this lady on TikTok, her name's Coco Moco, and she talks about the, you know, she just talks about trends. And uh, and something that I think is really easy, it, it was really interesting as she was talking about, like how uh, Gen Z is very public, but whatever the, gen, the next Gen. Uh, gen which, Alpha? I, which yeah, by the
0: way, how did you earn Gen Alpha? Like that's that's an aggressive. I don't
1: gift. know because I don't even know what I am. I remember like people were saying. How old are you? I. That's also a good question. I was born in 1987. Um, how old I am? You're I mo- think I'm 35 or yeah. 36. Uh, but I, I remember, like, I don't know, we didn't used to talk about this, you know, like, we didn't used to talk about this. I remember, like, not that long ago, like, hearing Guru Jagat be like, these millennials. And, and so I thought millennials were people that were younger than me. And now people are like, millennial. I, I don't really, yeah. give, a, I don't really <laughs> give a fuck what it is. But you know what? How uh, Ken Wilbur, the integral theory guy, really.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Talk about a fucking brilliant dude. Holy holy shit. He's amazing.
1: And I worked with, uh, because I didn't understand the system, I worked with an uh, an integral coach fucking really interesting experience like being on mushrooms like literally like their knowledge of archetypes and all those like amazing but when ken wilbur talks about boomeritis and basically like the boomers and this is i don't know if you've ever seen the documentary the century of the self it's how public relate really cool bbc documentary about how public relations was started and who started propaganda spoiler alert it's the great uncle of the guy that started netflix and it's the nephew of freud so it's like the bernays family you'll love this documentary but but holding these two things side by side the birth of propaganda and why it was invented and then also like what ken wilber talks about about boomeritis being the byproduct of like the first successful propaganda generation that is like the more you buy the more individual you are and boomers were like th- we're like the first generation to have this really strong sense of individuality and that they really matter and that what they do but actually it's 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 kind of just a byproduct of of propaganda but this is i had never heard people until people started saying millennials i didn't know what like any of these things were i was like all of this shit makes everyone sound old to me but
2: Facts. but
1: um But after hearing Ken Wilber describe the like unique difficulties that this generation was finding themselves entangled in as a result of this, of this this really strong sense of individuality that was cooked up by consumerism, like it was literally, they were like, we're going to make Americans feel more individual through what specialized products they buy but it's really just marketing of how to be able to sell more things and it has nothing to do with like the natural human condition but seeing how this literal propaganda so much shapes not just the psychology of the individual but really shapes their whole life.
0: What was that the documentary century
1: called? Century of the Self. It's fucking sick. It is so
0: good. So I think that is actually the progenitor of, if you look at like, why does the U.S. have the most mass sh- killings? Why does the U.S. have highest obesity rate? Why does the U.S. have the highest uh, pharmacological rate? Like all the negative things you would look at for a society other than suicide, which I think Japan has in spades, virtually everything else we've got. Like we got the gold star. We're, we're a gold star country. Guess what? We got it. I think the hyper focus on the self is the systemic cause of all of yeah. it. Yeah, because the further you get from the realization that we are all God, mm-hmm. that we and if you want to call God the universe, it really doesn't matter. Call it what you want. The an atom is not differentiated from a molecule, is not differentiated from a cell, is not differentiated from the being it constructs. Right? Like we are all. To use the uh, integral stuff, we're all holarchies, right? Like we are somewhere in a nested hierarchy of other things. So you zoom far enough out, we're just earth. We're just it. And so the idea that the most important differentiation is between your physical being and the other physical beings around you is a poison. It is a soul-sucking cancer on society that is literally driving the the most insane levels of sickness that is seen anywhere around the world we are so depraved spiritually mm-hmm. and i think it starts from this notion of serving the self so to go back before about like oh i want fame and money if you want it for you even if you get it Look at poor Britney Spears. Look at anybody who got a ton of fame and fortune in a way that was not necessarily divine. Mm -hmm. It will pull you into the depths, right? As opposed to Tony Robbins, great example. As far as I can tell, looks like he's living a great life, great marriage, Mm -hmm. just love, just coming off the guy in every direction. And it's because he's doing it apparently from a place of the whole is more important than the individual. Mm -hmm. So I am really excited to dig into that documentary because it feels like that is some capital. Oh my God,
1: definitely, definitely text me or email me and let me know what you think about it because that was really like the mission. And, and as an American, like my, as you know, Gurdjieff said that when he first started coming to America, he was like, this is a really strange country because every, he's like, the first thing he made all of his students do was he's like, you have to stop reading the newspapers. Like, uh, Americans have this really strong, like, we have to check the newspapers every day. It's like, we're not doing this in, in Europe. Like, it's really strange. This sense of like social responsibility that he's like, this is a very like American thing and you should stop doing it immediately. Like, all of the fourth way lectures that that I'm reading all took place during World War II and like they never mentioned the war even one time, like not even one time. Wow. And Gurdjieff was through, you know, he started his school during like the Bolshevik Revolution and stuff in Russia. And so they were always migrating due to serious wars, like multiple countries, he's great, he's Armenian, um, but literally so many had to relocate lives changed because of wars and never once do they speak about it because they just didn't feel like it was relevant to any internal work that they were doing. Even the inconvenience of having to relocate a school or living in Paris during curfews in World War II, never spoke about it. Um, and so I thought that that was like really interesting, but all that, all that to say to, to close out, cause I really got a pee. I could talk with you all day. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, the kind of through line that we've had of like, you know, compassion and how do we, you know, how do we deal with this, the In Spiral Dynamics, which Ken Wilber teaches, which I definitely, I only know this because I tried to teach it to reinforce my position that my, at the time, polluted thinking was more evolved than the green meme. And I literally went, you know, I was thinking this in my head, but when I went to teach it live, I realized that I was wrong. And that was when the Mm. deterioration started to happen where I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm fucked up. Uh, I'm like, I thought that I was above the green meme and actually I'm below it because I descended in thinking, and I'm now on this like judgment, right, wrong. I was in the blue meme, like not doing good. So don't forget that all of this wokeness and all of the, this is not a descent in consciousness. It still is an ascent in consciousness and it's not out of the blue meme or the red meme guys. I'm not talking on this specifically spiral dynamics. Um, but it has nothing to do with like blue and red parties. But consciousness, turquoise meme, yellow meme, higher consciousness that we're going to is not birthed out of anything but the green meme. So all of this is actually a good sign. All of this is pointing at progression, but we you can't skip levels. You
0: must ascend. Yeah.
1: People up. that say spiritual bypassing, they don't know how spirituality works. Like you can make yourself feel all you want that you've skipped a grade, but like, you know, you'll find out publicly that you haven't. And that's okay.
0: Maybe you do it in a week or a day or yeah. even a minute, but you, you must go through something that takes you through that. Yeah, course. There's
1: no skipping a line whatsoever. So, you know, when we see the green meme in full effect and when it's, you, you know, frustrating or because the green meme's very vocal, you know, and it's hard to have people disrespecting you when you're giving something freely that you had to work really hard for. Um, this is, this is all a good, this is, this is just the level, but it's out of this, like this is this decay all the crumbling down of all of these systems. Like this is, you see this shit in the forest, you know, like this is what dirt's made out of and nothing can grow without dirt. So, so thank you, green (laughs) memes. Thank
0: you. I, I do often try and thank the things that challenge me emotionally because then emotionally just becomes spiritually. Uh, I am grateful for them because without them, I couldn't do the work. I would just be coasting and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to learn the lessons I need to learn. And I wouldn't be able to, what we're talking about earlier, I wouldn't be able to help other people on their, their paths for whatever small amount I can do. Mommy, absolute unmitigated pleasure. I just, Love every second of this whole conversation. Look forward to 3.0, 4.0, yeah, 5.0. Yeah, I'm
1: definitely down. Thank you all so much for thank you all so much for being here. If you want to know more, you can go to mommyonami.com. Everything is on there. And uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm
2: gonna go, Pinot. <laughs> Bye. All right. thank- Talk soon.